Good evening, Schmageggies, and welcome to Slow Motion Triple Feature, a podcast in which three friends watch three movies over the course of three weeks. Each month, a different friend will select a different triple feature for their friends to enjoy and discuss. Slow Motion Triple Feature is one of the many fine podcasts brought to you by the American Friend Institute. I am your host, Mike Keller, and I am joined today by my good friends, Kit and Andrew. Tonight, we're finishing off Kit's actor-director... Oh, I wrote that wrong. Actor-director triple feature with Barbara Streisand's 1983 film, Yentl, which Kit sportingly agreed to watch instead of some Angelina Jolie piece of shit. So thank you, Kit. Um, I guess let's jump right in. Uh, Kit, tell us uh, why, other than peer pressure, why you chose this uh, particular <laughs> film for the... Okay, uh, so actually, I was always giving you the option, bet- I think, between Yentl and By the Sea. So okay. my initial idea for this triple came from, as I said last week, wanting to make Andrew watch Big Night finally. But um, the thing that made me pick it for this particular month is that there was a video that Be Kind Rewind put out about actress directors um, that talked about Yentl. And now I've known that Yentl existed for decades, and I know that it's a movie with... Barbara Streisand, whom I'm, whom I love, and I know that she plays a boy, and both Mandy Patinkin and Amy Irving fall in love with her, and she falls in love with both of them. Like knowing all of this, I was, I've always been nervous to watch it because it seemed like it might be lame. Um, <laughs> but I finally was like, let's bite the bullet and watch this, and then, uh. And then it ended, and then I was flipping back and forth between that and By the Sea, because By the Sea I unexpectedly enjoyed. For, <laughs> for okay. at least back in the day when I first watched it, for being a movie directed by Angelina Jolie that's almost entirely in French um, and very, very pretentious, I, I, I found it very, uh, I won't say very, I found it compelling given those circumstances. But Yentl seemed like more fun, and then when you said it was like the first night of Hanukkah, I was like, okay, we're definitely doing... Yentl. Oh, that's right. Yeah, we are recording on the first night of Hanukkah. So happy Hanukkah out there. And this will air like six months from now. Right. So, yeah. so that'll this be is, great for everybody. Happy this Passover. was my f- my first time watching it, though. Yeah, same I'd here. I'd never seen it. I had never seen it. Andrew, had you seen it before? Nope. Wow. I'm surprised. <laughs> yeah. Married to Denise that you had never yeah. seen Yentl. Well, I will tell you that she sang a lot of it while sitting next to me <laughs> yeah. watching it. So, yeah. Uh, um, well, cool. So this is new for all of us. And uh, I guess uh, Andrew. Uh, I guess, I don't know, whoever wants to go. What were your your thoughts on um, the first time you saw Yentl? Um, it was weird. It was <laughs> weird. I My immediate thoughts while watching it was like were like, oh, this is kind of like what they should have done with the Beauty and the Beast remake. Like, that's initially, like, just, like, the way it looked, the way it was shot is very pretty. It reminded me of Beauty and the Beast as well. That opening scene in the shtetl, I was like, this looks Mm -hmm. like... Both thematically, but also just, like, this is a cool visual idea for this. Um, So I thought, like, just, like, the color and the mise-en-scene were all, like, very good. Like, it was... 
you know, and maybe this is unfair to assume that Barbara Streisand wouldn't have been a director, but I've just always known Yentl as like this kind of vanity project, uh, which maybe is an unfair characterization. Um, I don't think it like bombed or anything. (laughs) No, but no, it did really well. I think it did. Yeah. And I think there was like a bunch of awards and shit. Anyway, it just, it was just very surprising to me um, how good it looked. And then like, clearly she or she had an understanding of like cool things you can do with a camera or just fully trusted the people she was working with and gave them free reign to do cool shit. Cause there was like really, really impressive shots here and there. Um, that said, it gets to a, it gets to this weird point where it reminded me a lot of about time in that I'm supposed to think, kindly uh about these characters but they all kind of seem like pieces of shit in different ways um i found myself very there was nuance to it um which we could definitely get into but you know like i hated mandy potemkin pretty much the entire movie like i really thought he was a piece of garbage Hmm. um and she wasn't that I don't know. I understood where she was, like, why she made the decisions that she did. But putting poor Hadass through all that shit, marrying her, I mean, that's... Yeah. And then the way they kind of, like, steamroll over that in the end. So basically, she dresses up like a woman, or like a man, um, very unconvincingly, and then decides to marry this lady for Mandy Potemkin because she's in love with him and he, her, her parents won't give him permission to marry her. Uh, so he's like, yo, marry this lady for me and, you know, keep her warm. And then, you know, when shit cools down a bit, you know, we'll figure out a way and I'll slip in. Um, and so that was just very fucked up to me. Um, but I mean, also true to his character, I guess. So maybe that's okay. But um, yeah, that she would agree to do that was upsetting. And it also felt to me, maybe she was learning to appeal to the others. Like maybe she was gaining an understanding of the other sex and uh, the opposite sex and becoming more like them through this disguise she was wearing. I don't under, I don't totally get it, but I think the, the, the thing that was like the nail in the coffin for me was that, um, they, at the end of the movie, it all just kind of works out that Mandy Potemkin and Potemkin. this other lady, Potem- whatever. You're Battleship Potemkin. Potemkin. I'm thinking Battleship. <laughs> when Battleship Potemkin and Amy Irving end up together, <laughs> and she had full, to my knowledge, had like fully fallen out of love with that dude. Uh... So, yeah, and I don't know. They just glaze over it in a way that feels like she doesn't get to be a character in this movie, even though she's, like, very, very important to the plot. So I, I found I found that upsetting. I will say that there are two things that I, abs- beyond, like, what I've said that I've already liked about the movie, there are two things that I really loved. I thought they stuck the landing. I thought the ending was great, like, the actual ending, just the way, just where we leave everything. It's like, I don't totally agree with how we got here, but... I love the ending, and that last shot is great. Um, and then I thought the scene where she reveals herself to Battleship Potemkin was <laughs> really 
a lot was it it was a scene that needed to do a ton of work mm-hmm. and uh pretty much does it i mean we're talking like eyes wide shut style um yeah. just a lot of there was just it accomplished a lot and i believed it um but yeah there were things about this movie that really really upset me in not a fun way i also don't know if i believe that she was in love with amy irving even though amy irving was in love with her i just i don't know if i you 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 can convince me, but uh, I didn't see it in the text. Okay. Uh, Kit, do you want to kind of, uh, I mean, you kind of introduced why you chose the film, but do you want to say how, what your first impression was or I guess respond um, to anything? First, I'd like said? to point out this like mini driver curl that I have going on. That's very nice. Very nice. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I, you guys have known me for almost 20 years. What do you think I thought of this movie? <laughs> I, I think, so you guys, I was actually just listening to... Um, uh, Kenyan company. We, um, mm-hmm. one of our, I mean, it's just come out for listeners, but you know, it's one of our several months old episodes and Andrew or you, I think you both said part of what you enjoyed about that movie was thinking about how much Mike was enjoying that movie. And so for me, part of what I enjoyed about Yentl was being like, Oh man, like, cause I had actually assumed you had seen this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was like, this must be like one of Kit's favorite movies. <laughs> um, it is now baby. Yeah. So <laughs> that's, but- um I yeah that I mean, that would be my guess that you enjoyed I, it and then I enjoyed that about it. So I do want to say so like okay. Yes. I'm a bisexual Barbra Streisand fan, <laughs> but it was <laughs> I by no means a foregone conclusion that I would enjoy this movie and in fact I think that the first act I was struck by two things, one being wow, there's some gorgeous fucking cinematography and beautiful frames in this movie and two i think the setup is completely bungled like which which i'll go into so the first act i was sitting there like i mean this is pretty enough lee and i were both just like just every five minutes just like jesus what a beautiful shot or the setting is so gorgeous the lighting is beautiful the limited color palette is like like amazing it's really i think a gorgeous gorgeous movie there's a couple of like awkward edits and like Mm -hmm. i think um more kind of adventurous choices with the camera that don't work super well but for the most part i was just like sitting there just like this is i could watch this on mute and it and it's gorgeous um but I was a little bit dreading the like two hour, 10 minute runtime because I'm like, because of the because of the beginning. Um, but as soon as Mandy Patinkin enters the picture, first of all, he's such a fucking babe. Like he's I think he's he's so gorgeous and sexy in this movie. I love his performance. Yeah, he's doing some like. Weird shit, I feel like all of them are under pressures that lead them to do strange (laughs) things to try to get, you know, a decent life. Um, Not just Barbara. Mm -hmm. But I was truly sitting there like, I can't fucking believe that this movie exists. Like, I can't believe there's a movie (laughs) where Barbara Streisand is singing in her mind (laughs) about... (laughs) how nice it is to be waited on by this gorgeous woman and where like Mandy Patinkin is is, like tickling Barbara Streisand thinking that she's a man. Like (laughs) I wish every movie was this movie. Um, 
it made me so happy. And the scene, the scene in the it, where she, where he finds out who she is, I like explained to Lee. I'm like, I'm crying right now, and it's not because of how moving the scene is, though. I think it's great. I think him, he in particular, is really, really good at selling everything that he needs to sell in that scene. Yeah. Um. But I was like, I'm crying because I can't believe that this is a real movie. Like, I can't believe that this is a thing now that I can watch all the time. Anytime I want, I can turn this on and I can watch the gayest movie of all time. I freaking loved it. I loved it so much. (laughs) So is this sort of what propelled her to like gay icon status or was that already somewhere she no, existed before this she i i mean she started out doing i mean she's a broadway star she's a cabaret star okay you know funny girl um she is a plucky supposedly unattractive jew now i think she's one of the most beautiful women who ever lived but i understand that she's an unconventional beauty um i think those things i think funny girl in particular if you watch funny girl that is such a it's very like she's kind of like Judy Garland, but with confidence, like it's that same kind of like such a such an underdog, but just like bulldozes her way on, you know, through the force of her talent. I think that's the kind of thing that really uh, gets a gay audience to fall in love with you. Um, okay. She doesn't have the vulnerability, of course, that like Judy has, um, but she makes up for that with like just being so mind blowingly amazing. Um and so confident in spite of like in spite of having like in Funny Girl in particular, like the way that that role is written, I think Barbara brings to it something very different where I like she's singing constantly about like her big nose and stuff like that. But when Barbara sings it, you're like, she knows she's hot. Like Barbara doesn't think she's unattractive. Barbara thinks she's hot shit. Barbara knows she's the most. So she brings that kind of energy. And in some ways, I think. I think there's times where it works, that energy works for the character in this movie, and then times where it doesn't work so well, like when she, like she's supposed to be kind of like shy and uncomfortable, and <laughs> I don't buy it as much because she's Barbara Streisand. Um, but I also believe she would, she also has the kind of energy that would be crazy enough to like try this gambit. And I mean, I don't want to like skip. I I agree. I think the ending is so good and the part where he says um what more do you want and she just says more i'm like just fucking shoot me in the head like i'm ready to die like it's so it was so it was yeah that was good i like so that. it's so good i loved it it's the best it's the best i love it i'm so happy that this podcast exists to have made me watch this movie <laughs> Yeah, that scene really well. I think it just distills like pretty much the entire movie. Yeah. And and also really, really puts the entire like male perspective they're trying to sell in like a pretty sympathetic package, Mm -hmm. I think. Like you don't come away thinking that every single man in the society hates women. uh, Or that, you know, every single woman hates living in this society uh so i don't know it's just it's 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 kind of like a rare thing for a movie like this i think to be this complicated 
Well, I also because it's the same way the way that she ends like Barbara starts out being extremely uh, gentle, kind of hates women. Like she and she's right. singing about how what an idiot she thinks Amy Irving is, even though she like feels sorry for her. She's talking about how like she says there's a line that's just like good thing she's dumb or something. Yeah. And then yeah. I, I would say that that perspective changes once she sees like, oh, she actually is capable of learning. Uh, yes, it's on Yentl's terms, but like Amy Irving like shows that she can or Hadass learns that learns the Talmud like she's she's in kind of a different place. And I think Barbara realizes that maybe it was a mistake to um, assume that all women except her are dumb. Yeah. Uh, well, that's <laughs> sure. I think one of the things that makes like for me, it would have been hard to watch like a I feel like if they made this movie now, it would be changed in ways that would make it just shit. Um, but I feel like it it wasn't really like I mean, this was 83. So this, this was not before kind of the commonplace feminist narratives like of now. Um, but it exists sort of outside of that. So kind of like Andrew's pointing out, we're like, um, like the men do not hate the women. They view them as Mm-mm. like, they have this tremendous gift and ability. And he's like, well, what more could you possibly want? Like, you know, like you have everything. You're the greatest type of person there is as opposed to being like, you're just some stupid lady who can't do nothing. I don't, you know, which is kind of how, I think more often a patriarchal society or men would be cast to kind of support the uh, sort of the feminist version of history that they rely on uh, today. So, yeah, it's like I, I feel like it really, the movie really benefits from not kind of having that narrative. Like it's, it's sympathetic to both sides. And so you're allowed to more honestly, like sort of uh, understand both the gender role, like, there are the gender roles, but it's not like all gender roles are just inherently evil and bad. It's like, oh, well, like they're valued for a reason. People cling to these things for a reason and it they play their part in society, which is something that I think, you know, in more obnoxious, more recent stuff just totally gets left out of any discussion of I, gender yeah, and sex. I, I think there's possibly because of the origins of the story, like the the play ends very differently from the movie. OK, it's it where Yentl is basically the wandering Jew by the end. Um, Like she's trapped in disguising herself as a man forever. And she's just traveling from yeshiva to yeshiva, basically. Um, So she didn't go to America. No. Ah. And the playwright hated this movie and Barbara as well. Interesting. Um, But I think it's nice that like basically the play treats her as an, aberration the movie also acknowledges that she's i feel like it doesn't universalize yentl's experience to like this is what all women want or Mm -hmm. should want right um but what it i think the movie is pretty careful about saying maybe this isn't what all people want but those who do want it should have the opportunity to do it yeah without this much of a without this much trouble (laughs) You know, without having to disguise themselves as a man. And there's like a really. um, I'm so happy that this movie didn't have a sad ending. I'm so happy that it had a happy ending that didn't feel it didn't feel the need to punish Yentl or in order to be historically accurate, have her be like shunned or 
whatever, which is kind of what happens in the play, which that's fine, whatever. And certainly more realistic, I think, for like 1904 <laughs> in Eastern Europe. Yeah. But that she experiences numerous setbacks and tragedies, but she like appreciates that she wouldn't be who she is without having gone for those things. She doesn't regret it. She's still willing. She, you know, she loves Mandy Patinkin and she says, I want to be a scholar more. Sorry. She doesn't force him to change. He can't force her to change and she's willing to give him up to have what she truly wants. Yeah. And she doesn't, she doesn't. Yeah. Regret that she obviously like takes responsibility for it and embraces that path in life. And it's just like, I find it so it's so inspiring. It's a, I found it like a really, really inspiring movie. Like even though she does things that are fucking wacky <laughs> and like not nice necessarily. Um, I liked how all of these weird experiences she has, she like grows as a person through them and like realizing that she can have different kinds of loves for men and women and um, that there are aspects of her that are male and aspects that are female and that um, she like expands. She becomes more throughout the process. Um, and I think you are right, Mike, that that's not a take on gender that you see that often, at least in like mainstream right. Oscar Beatty like type movies like this. Um, it did. It felt complex to me. I, I think I like that. And it's like you don't really you never see that in any range of like or I, I personally haven't seen that in any range of like this sort of like swap type of thing. Uh, however, having said that, <laughs> the the movie was like. Um, I was so like tense. It was such a light film and it was like, um, you know, I kind of took it mostly as like a musical where like, there are probably things that would be kind of silly if you like take this very literally. So like, I was kind of just rolling along with the movie. Um, but as, as everything was pretty light, except all I could think about at a point was just like, how is she going to get out of this? Get Especially of this. when like, and you marriage, don't like, oh that. yeah. And I know you don't like that kind of movie. Yeah. Where people just keep digging a hole deeper. Yes. And bad shit keeps getting piled on. Yeah. And so I was like, really like, there's, there's only so many ways this can go. And like, if you do it, if you can, if you continue to be light, like if the tone of the film is going to continue to be light, um, I don't know how they can do this. And so then when she finally reveals to uh, battleship Patankin, um, you know, like I'm a woman, surprise uh and he's like really upset and angry i was just kind of like like um I, d- I really did not want the movie to go in that direction and then he pretty quickly changes course and i mean to the point where by the end of that scene he's like i love you <laughs> and uh which is all good but at the same time you know i'm glad that it was ha- had a happy ending i um i guess sort it, of well yeah i mean happy uh, yeah happy enough i feel like it seemed like everybody kind of got what they wanted Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but at the same time, it was like, that was quite a like leap or like, it was, it was kind yes. of a lot. And then I was like, well, I bought a lot of other stuff in this movie that was kind of crazy. So like, okay, sure. But I, I don't know that I like really felt fully satisfied. I think really, I, I think if yeah. they just hadn't gone as complicated as they did, if she hadn't gone as deep in as she did, 
and had kind of pulled out or revealed earlier like i was shocked when they got married yeah like the whole time the musical number that keeps cross-cutting between her and the taylor and her at the wedding i was like is this going to turn out to be like her nightmare of the wedding or is this really right. the wedding like are we going to end right. up and we're actually at their wedding and i was like wow holy shit they got married yeah <laughs> well, it was surprising I <laughs> well, I think the opposite. I think the opposite of Mike. I think it needed to be even more complicated. Okay. I think, I think, uh, Hadass should have been as as important of a character as Evigdor. I think. I just I can't I can't I can't reconcile going from the the scene that we see we see two the the her last two scenes are her in anguish overseeing her husband leave for a few days and then the next scene is her happy with a new husband yes i wanted to see her scene of finding out i think i think so much of like selling uh you know maybe barbara's newfound love for other women would kind of hinges on seeing that relationship resolve in a way that feels uh satisfying and it does not yeah so yeah, it got weird. It, it got reminded, really it's a, weird. Yeah. It's, a it's a very pa- it's very patronizing to me. It's very patronizing to me. Yeah, I don't. Her I agree. I don't think. I think. But I okay. I'm not. Maybe this is an excuse. But I felt that this movie gets away with so much that I could not believe they were getting away with. Like for like a really mainstream movie. Starring who someone who was at that time one of the biggest stars in the world, and it's all about like Eastern European Jews in the early twenties. <laughs> like it's so, it's like there's tons of like dialogue that's about just like Jewish ancient literature with like sacred literature, which like I could have used more of to be honest. But like it's such a hard sell that I'm like. And still, so, like, I don't think they necessarily could have gone full bore lesbian, though they get pretty fucking far, which, you know, to my great delight, um, they get to kiss, right? Like, she and Amy Irving, like, briefly kind of touch mouths. Sort I of. I can't remember um, if they actually touch. I know that there's, like, the she, silhouette of them coming very close, but I can't remember they, if they she only She them. only kind of touches mouths with uh, Mandy Battleship as well. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So... I so like I think they get pretty fucking far. But it you know the the plot kind of I mean kind of reminds me of like a 12th night or something like it's a very Shakespearean plot. Yeah. But it's a Shakespearean comedy plot, but it's not a comedy. And I think a lot of the films of the past and even today they would resolve this kind of gender swap comedy by having her end up with Mandy Patinkin like the movie would end with her marrying Mandy Patinkin and I love the fact that they don't do that yeah so even though the movie doesn't go fully into I, I I do think there's probably some truth to the idea I don't know what the play does but that maybe it would have been a bridge too far to spend as much time on uh Hadass and her reaction to like finding out maybe you don't need that though maybe you don't need you know maybe you don't need to need to go full bore with it but 
yeah, to to give to give us nothing, I think is just it kind of ends up dismiss. It's a it's dismissive of Hadats for sure. And that's and that's and the thing is, is like you're you're total. I mean, you're totally right about any other movie would do exactly as you just said. And the fact that they don't is what I think most makes it feel like they missed the opportunity to like finish what they what mm-hmm. they start what they've started because it's like I expected she's the man or you know any mm-hmm. other movie like yeah even I also even up they until they were gonna be together by the end for sure yeah up until the moment that they weren't I was like this is this I know how this movie it's ends. basically when she's on the boat that I'm like oh wow they're really not gonna <laughs> yeah exactly enough <laughs> together but I think that's fucking awesome and I wonder mm-hmm. I mean maybe she would have because I don't know if you guys know this but you know the play is not a musical and Barbara Streisand's road to getting this movie produced was like 15 years or longer okay um yeah because she's like 40 when she when this movie is right like when she's making this movie and she's playing like like a 20 something year old I'm guessing the character in the play is 16 the character in the movie is 26 um, and she started like shopping it when she was like mid twenties. And even then people said, wow. you're too old to play this role. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, the play is yeah. called Yentl, the Yeshiva boy. Um, so, <laughs> um, but it was not a musical. She did not necessarily want it to be a musical, but after a decade plus of her boyfriend, John Peters being like, I will not John. Sh- Barbara Streisand turned down like something like $15 million. Like he kept offering, like if you give up Yentl and just do like a concert in Times Square instead, I'll give you a million dollars. And then it was like 2 million and then it was 10 million and she would not give up Yentl. And the music idea was added because the studios, like nobody was interested. And she was like, I can't, I, there's varying reports that like, the studio said, if you sing in it, we'll make it. Or she thought, maybe if I sing in it, they'll make it. So, like, oh the gosh. music was also... Andrew, did you see who did the music for this movie? No, who? The person who did Umbrellas of Schaberg. Oh. oh, interesting. Yeah. You know, I did definitely... You definitely got that feeling. Uh, I definitely mm-hmm. thought of that movie while listening to her Me sing. too. As soon so. as Lee was telling me, like, uh, some, I asked who did the music, and Lee was like, some French new wave guy. And I was like, is it the guy who did Umbrellas of Schimmer? Because it sounds, it has that vibe to it. But mm-hmm. anyway, what I'm saying is that, like, for some reason when the movie came out, like, all of the narratives were about how indulgent and uncompromising Barbara Streisand was and how wrong it was of her to, like, produce, direct, and star in and write the film, but she actually compromised a lot in order to get it fucking made. Hmm. And I think at times in the movie, you can feel how the music seems like maybe she wasn't that into (laughs) doing these musical scenes. A note I had very early on was that the story is perfectly fine, but the music is odd. It's just integrated very oddly uh, with the main character singing their thoughts, even when it's fairly obvious from what we're seeing on screen, like what they would be thinking. Right. Um, Yeah. And I would point. I would like forget that it was even a musical and then somebody would start singing mm-hmm. and it, she, right. she wasn't even like singing. It just was a song over something that was happening. Well, um, yeah. And I think, I think it, three it of the songs like... are really, are really good. I think Papa, can you hear me is great. Papa, can you hear me? Doesn't could just be diegetic. She could just be in the woods singing that as the character. And I don't think you'd necessarily even 
think, oh, this is a musical now. Well, but it kind um, of goes back and forth because there are times where she'll does. be singing, she'll be in the middle of a song, and then she'll like walk into a new room yeah. and she's not singing anymore. So it's interesting. I it think all the best songs like, are the ones she actually sang in the movie. Yeah. Like I think, Papa, Can You Hear Me? Um, I love uh, No Matter What Happens. I love that. I've like listened to that like probably 25 times since last night. <laughs> like yeah. I love that song. And then there's one other one she sings that I like. But I was noticing how... I think for most directors, if they're deciding to do a musical, then they the parts they'd be most excited to film would be the musical numbers. Mm -hmm. And with the exception of the wedding one that keeps cross-cutting between the tailor and the wedding, mm -hmm. she's basically just filming close-ups of people's faces while yeah. she's singing. And there's dialogue happening like at the same time. It just felt very much like, I have to do a song now. Yeah. So, and she's the only one who sings, even though Mandy Patinkin is like, yeah, one of the best Broadway singers who ever lived, and then I think Amy Irving also sings. Um, okay, so it did feel like there was a bit of a half-assed approach to the music. That said, still like three Stone Cold classic songs from that <laughs> from that movie, mm -hmm. and I did like hearing her say stuff like when she's leaving Amy Irving, and she's a lot of the like bisexual content is in the like songs. So I guess I'm glad they were there because like her like talking about how like Amy Irving's in love with her and she's in love with Amy Irving. And then she says like something like she's a woman. And then the last line of the song is like, so am I. I'm like, this is cool. <laughs> so like, I don't want that to be gone, but it was weird. Yeah. Yeah. No, and it definitely, I, I thought it was odd, but it did not ruin the movie or anything for me. Like it was just kind of like, this is, I haven't really seen this in a musical before. Just, Yeah. Like you said, kind of felt after the fact or half-assed or something. But uh, but I mean, a lot of the what she was singing was crucial for, like, you know, I don't know some of the more insightful stuff in the movie. So, but uh, well, I guess... that's, I'm so it's so nice to hear that because when I when she first started singing, um, the first song she does is like when she's like watching her dad like teach in the synagogue and stuff. She has like her hair down or whatever. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, they're going to hate this so much. <laughs> like, I thought Andrew in particular, but also you, I was like, they are going to really not enjoy this. I didn't, movie. I definitely did not hate it. I, I, there was a few things about it that I really do hate, but I, I think that it's interesting. I think I love how much it means to you. Um, <laughs> I love Battleship Potemkin, so I've gotten a lot out of it. And again, like I could I could have jumped up in the aisles and started clapping at the ending. That shot of it pulling it's, away from the ocean and then it just it. kept going. It just kept yeah. fucking going. Great, gorgeous. That's cool. Mm -hmm. And she and at the same time, I love like that that shot is super long and she holds that note even for Barbara Streisand. She fucking holds that <laughs> note for such. A long time. And it really just made me, I was like so pumped up like after, after watching that, I like, was like, I'm not going to sleep tonight. I'm so excited about, <laughs> about this movie. I truly, I could not stop thinking about Yentl and like what I was going to say on the podcast and like how much I loved it. Like it was so good. I mean, they, that's what I've always heard though, is never watch Yentl before bed. It'll just, yeah. <laughs> it, um, it, and it, it really made me go too, because like, I had heard a lot about the backlash against the movie and the fact that she was, she's still to this day, the only woman to win best director at the golden globes. And then she wasn't even nominated at the Oscars. And I, I remember thinking it's like, obviously I would prefer that this movie rules and it, she should have been nominated, 
but I was afraid, like, well, maybe it's just not that good. Like, that's a possibility. But then I watch it, and I'm like, personally, I mean, I haven't looked at, like, what else came out in 83. I don't know, Reds or something. Who knows? Oh, um, let's find out. But I was like, she sh- I would 100, if she, I think the world, I think the Oscars kind of like to embrace first-time directors. Yeah. Well, and I mean, um, it's a historical piece, like, uh, you know. I, I going into it, I had no idea what it was about at all. All I really remembered was Barbara Streisand's in it. And I remembered the VHS cover from the video store back in the day. And I was very relieved. I read the little summary before we started or before I started watching it. Uh, and I don't mean this in a weird, I mean way or anything, but just like I was glad that it wasn't. I knew it was about Judaism, but I was glad that it wasn't like a Holocaust film because I just wasn't really in the mood. No, that's I think that's fair to say. You don't okay. get a lot of you. I mean, it's like. <sighs> I don't know what can I what can I think of um uh uh what's what's the a, a serious man fiddler on a roof and yentl like yeah. movies about Jews that aren't about the Holocaust <laughs> like, yeah it there's not nice. a lot of those I, yeah and I like that about it. I found that really interesting just the period and um all that kind of stuff but uh but yeah that's surprising to hear that there was pushback against it because it feels it doesn't feel like Oscar bait by any means but it definitely feels like an awards picture like you know she huge was star. The movie didn't get like it didn't necessarily get bad reviews, but the ones that were negative were so focused on the fact that she would have the nerve okay, to think that she could do this. And then when you watch the movie, you're like, it's great. Like, certainly it doesn't you. I don't think anyone with an open anyone who wasn't determined to hate Barbara Streisand, who knew anything about movies, would watch this and go, she sucks at directing. Yeah, no, no, I think it's very well directed. And if anything, like most of my notes were like, like the lighting in this scene is incredible or like, I love these, Me sets, too. these settings. And yeah, I thought it was really well. I mean, you know, film directed. The, the settings um, are incredible. I love like the production design. Like I said, I love that it's like everything's brown and black and cream. Um, and then like there's one scene where they stop in front of this green door and it's it like takes your breath away because like you don't see any color yeah. in the movie yeah. for almost yeah. the whole time and then that room well, like when they're in amy irving's house and it's all red you're like very attentive to like what a strange environment this is for yeah. yentl to be in because it doesn't look anything like the yeshiva or the shtetl it's funny too now that i think about it that for a bar for a film you know written directed starring Etc. cetera, uh, Barbara Streisand, like, I really think the music is the weakest part, uh, part for me. Not that the music's bad, just the way it's integrated. Um, but yeah, all the other stuff is just like, like, but, the but that's the, the thing is like, that. yeah, I mean, every single song, I mean, she could have, she could have cleared the set and just done that by herself. It feels like, yeah. you know, like she's I, the only I, person I, who ever sings. Yeah. yeah. There's no, there's no dance numbers. I wonder if that I think was it, it though, was a concession. Was, what, what was that? It was a concept. I don't think she, she didn't conceive of ever having music in the movie until yeah. she thought that, wonder, that was her last ditch effort to get it made. I wonder if part of the response then was that it felt indulgent. Like, oh, it's she's trying to show. You it know, did they feel indulgent. Known. Yeah. OK. Like, oh, she's trying to showcase, you know, her, you know, something like that. Whereas critics weren't realizing that she was, you know, that, convinced to add the music. So. That said, like, I don't think she would have gotten an Oscar nom if it didn't have music in it. I think people were my sense is that people were determined not to reward her for this film. Yeah. Now, especially because the same thing happened to her in Prince of Tides, like the next movie she made. 
was also like very, you know, as far as I know, really quite good, had big um, Oscars, a big like actors in it, um, got good notices and everything, and then uh, got no attention. Okay. Um, See, Prince of Tides is one I know nothing about other than it's supposed to be like famously bad. So I'm kind of curious now if that movie is good or not. Although, I mean, I got a Criterion collection, but it's like one of those things that like people always made fun of. So I didn't know. But. Um, best director for the 1983 or the 83 movies that were given awards in 84. Uh, James L. Brooks for Terms of Endearment and Best Picture is Terms of Endearment. Which, okay. Like, my mom loves Terms of Endearment. Terms of Endearment is a good movie. But to suggest that, like, this is overly sentimental and Terms of Endearment isn't, or that Terms of Endearment isn't indulgent when it's just, like, big, like, <laughs> huge it actors is, screaming yeah. about death and, like... Which is, which is funny to me because uh, another movie on this list... Uh, for best director is uh, Igmar Bergman for Fanny and Alexander. And holy shit, I love Bergman, but he's extremely sentimental. What else was, what else was nominated for best director for be- or best picture for uh, best director? Uh, Silkwood. Again, um, same thing. That's, that's a pretty, I mean, that's I, the shares in that movie. Awesome. But it's like Mike Nichols, that's pretty baby. maudlin. Mm-hmm. Peter Yates for the dresser. Never seen it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Bruce Beresford for Tender Mercies. Never seen it, but Robert Duvall won an Oscar. That's probably I've heard, pretty. That's pretty I've heard good. that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's a year where I would have not voluntarily seen a single one of the Oscar nominees. Yeah. The and then the the best pictures were uh, Tender Mercies, Dresser, The Dresser, Terms of Endearment, Big Chill, and The Right Stuff. The Big Chill. Oh. The Big Chill is a fucking turd. Compared, <laughs> especially I. I just to me. You know, yeah, I think Barbara was fucking robbed. I'm not even saying she should have won, but along those nominees, I feel very confident saying she should she should have been nominated. You know, yeah. we've been we've you know the three of us have been I think very instrumental in the Oscars so white movement. Uh, <laughs> we've been tweeting we've been tweeting that hashtag. I think it's about time that we start tweeting Oscars so wrong. You know, okay. let's let's get some let's get back broaden it. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And she and that's the thing too is, is like it's so funny how the reaction to the movie paralleled Yentl's <laughs> experience that that's usually the case, isn't it? It's but it's just it's it's so poetic. I mean, maybe it's for the better, but it's so poetic just people you know thinking how dare she think she should be allowed to do this. <laughs> It's people like... <laughs> pe- people wield their their Oscar vote like it fucking matters and like it's 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 their duty to I mean remember this is a, an organization that gives awards to movies that people haven't watched. No. I mean I haven't seen maybe t- Tender Mercies might have really good cinematography but from a cinematography perspective what I know of all those movies none of them is prettier than this movie. See, this is the thing that we're falling no. into the trap of discussing the Oscars. Like I know, caring about the matter. Oscars. The Oscars <laughs> no. suck. They don't matter. Um, still the and only we'll woman see, to win we'll a Golden Globe we'll for Best Director. we'll see you in February, baby. Yeah. <laughs> or April this year, I guess. This is well, a good time to year plug to our watch. Oscar special. This is this is the year to watch the Oscars to yeah, see if Sonic right. the Hedgehog wins Best it's, Picture. I've yeah. been, we've been joking about this, but like my my 
what I've been saying about the Oscars this year is that, you know what? Don't even televise it. Post it at a fucking Chili's or something. <laughs> uh, just just write down the winners on folded napkins. Uh, there's no like let's let's see let's see what we can accomplish here. Let's see how let's see how much integrity we can inject back to back into the Oscars by giving it absolutely like zero importance. Yeah. I have I can give my critique my main critique of this film, okay. um, which I alluded to earlier, which is that I think. Um, that the 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 setup is very bungled, um, and I was frankly when she set, when her dad died and she set off for the yeshiva, like the moment where she chooses, like I'm gonna disguise myself as a boy. Um, I I was yeah. really stunned. <laughs> I was like. But what is motivate? Is it just I? T- I had to ask Leah. I was like, is it just because her dad died that she feels like this is okay now? And my, you know, I feel like I'm I'm I belong to like the Howard Ashman school of screenwriting, which the even the song she sings, like she has a want, but she doesn't have a need. She right. wants to study the Talmud, but I f- w- thought for sure that her husband or her husband, her father's illness would somehow force her into the position of needing to do this, like for financial reasons or it made her unmarriable um, or that something about the consequences of his death would leave her in a desperate position to now like this is her option and she needs this to work. But no, she's just like, phew, my dad's dead. Now I can go do this. That's that's a fairly light motivation for your protagonist. (laughs) Um, And then also the movie does a bad job, a very bad job, first of all, of establishing, I think, the division between men and women. Like when she shows up at the yeshiva and she's like shocked, you know, she's suddenly having to be around boys. It reminded me of the Disney live action Mulan a lot, which also does a terrible job of like setting up the world. Um and showing us like the stakes of the protagonist's choice. Much worse than this movie, but similar problems and also just basically the same plot exactly. Uh, but <laughs> they, all of that stuff of her feeling so uncomfortable being in the bed with Manny Patinkin and having to be around them when they're swimming naked, um, I think would be a lot more rewarding if we felt like we understood that like she's not even been around men for the most part in her life, like that that these worlds are so separate. And then her desire to study, to study Talmud is like her dad teaches her in secret. She's constantly overhearing other people being taught. She gets that book pretty easily from that book peddler by just lying. And then she's in the synagogue. We see her in the synagogue also like listening to teaching. So it's like her life is literally wall to wall, like Jewish teaching. And so it doesn't really feel like there's any barriers to this learning that she desperately wants. She yeah. also seems to already know the Talmud, like, chapter and verse by the time she gets to the yeshiva. Yeah, good point. So, like, all of these things that, like, like we don't really get a sense of she longs for this, but she's kept from it. She seems to have quite constant access to it. Um, yeah. And I think that was, like, a real, they a real, like obvious like they really could have done a better job of setting up or showing her 
like being constantly confined to the world of women. Like there's like one little scene where she's having to care about like what kind of fish she wants for dinner and she doesn't care. That's really the only scene we see of her having to do like lady things before she's suddenly around Amy Irving and think any, anyway, I thought that was really uh, fucked up. Um, but I also like, I mentioned the scene where they're by the, where they're by the lake and that rules. I love it. I did say like, I don't think Mandy Patinkin's butt is as nice as Lee's. Like it's not the, it's not the greatest butt in the world. Um, but I did love, I, I had no idea that there were that many ways to not show a penis. <laughs> it was like Austin Powers. Wasn't that amazing? It was. The, <laughs> the, the, the lengths they go to to not show his hog, but almost show his hog they are get so close. impressive. I mean, and yeah. surely he had to be really naked because they're getting yeah, so yeah, yeah, close yeah. to like he, top of his penis that yeah. <laughs> there's he, no he way probably he was had a, He probably had a sock on or something, but... um. Yeah, there was. They even did like the, the graduate shot where it like quickly flashes to like just a a, a hair's width below the the tip of his flaccid cock. You know what I'm talking about? Like in, yes. the, in the in the graduate, they show her tits yes. by by just like flashing them. It was like it was that shot, hmm. and I was ready. I was ready. I was like full on ready for some hog. Like I was like, if this movie gives us hog. I am going to be, in 1983, I'm going to be blown away. Me too. I felt the same way. So, like, I told you guys before this started that I just watched Effie Gray, where Effie Gray is all about John Ruskin, like, beholding an actual woman's body and being disgusted and not being able to consummate his marriage with his wife. And there are scenes in that movie where Dakota Johnson is, like, looking in a mirror at her body. But there's no titties in that movie. There's no pubic hair in that movie. I'm like, don't make the movie then. And this one did feel a little bit like... If you're not going to show me Barbara Streisand's tits in this movie, like Julie Andrews is showing her tits around this time. Like, show me Barbara Streisand's I thought Streisand's she was going to. I thought me. we were going to see him. We do get butt. I like, it's rare the movie where you get male ass and then like nothing from the women. So like, that's kind of fun. But there should have been ass. There should have been penis. There should have been boobs in this movie. I would say. Two hams and a hog. That's what I say. <laughs> All right, then. <laughs> uh, well, did you know that um, Michael Douglas and Richard Gere were originally considered for the role of Avigdor? I'm glad that she did not go with either of them. Thank, <laughs> Me too. Thank God. First of all, not Jewish, right? <laughs> no. Like, no way. Also, she fought really hard for Mandy Patinkin. So I think she, I think. Barbara herself knew that he was the right guy, at least in 83. Maybe she considered Richard, maybe she considered those other guys like earlier on in the development process, but he turned it down multiple times. And she said, come to my house and let's rewrite them. Like we'll rewrite the parts that you don't like to get him to do it. And he's absolutely the perfect person. I would say for this movie, I think he's, he's so instant, like, it helps justify that she's basically immediately in love with him because he's, I think so compelling, so attractive. Like he, he's really, really good. And we've kind of alluded to it, but like when in that final scene, when he kind of collapses from like anger into like hugging her and telling her he loves her, like what a wild thing to have to do in a scene. Yeah. (laughs) And he completely does it. 
it's amazing to me that he didn't get uh, the best supporting. I thought the nomination. same thing. I but thought Amy Amy Irving Amy Irving did. So did Yentl. Oh, Amy Irving did. Okay. Yeah, but that's crazy to me. Just because I there's agree. if if I if I've got a if I've got to rank the performances here, you know, maybe it's because uh, he didn't also, show his hog. Maybe I. Do you know what? Full up. I agree, dude. That'll cost you. That's you know? gotta. That's gotta be it. That would cost you. Um, I hear that a lot of the um, academy at that point was thirsty cougars. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, uh, I do think it's really funny to, that we've said so much about the music, like feeling like an afterthought, and yet t- not one but two of the songs competed for best original song. Yeah, and it got it, it won best original score, which I know is different, but it's just very funny to me. <laughs> I have uh, two other notes. One of them is uh, I have been to that bridge in Prague that they're crossing. At the oh, end of cool. The I saw it and I was like, I've been there. I sat on a bench right by that. Awesome. Uh, yeah. So that was fun. Uh, but then the last thing I had is actually related more to the film. It's when uh, Amy Irving sits down next to Babs on the bed and says, uh, when you told me I had the right to refuse you, you didn't tell me I had the right to demand you. And I thought, whew, that was, that's pretty steamy stuff. <laughs> that there was pretty good. Re- steamy, I yeah. think there were some really good lines in the movie. I yeah. love when, in the beginning, when her dad is coughing and she's giving cough medicine, and he says, you think the angel of death will be chased away by cough medicine? Um, <laughs> and then, uh, what else? There's like, just like the kind of lines, like where she says, You're, she's a woman, so am I. When she also sings, if I were a man, I would too. I love that kind of shit. Um, but yeah, there was some good screenwriting, which it must be mentioned. Barbara Streisand re- co-wrote the screenplay. Yep. Um, I do, I do wish, uh, and felt like they were definitely like hinting at a little bit of a uh, sexual conf- confusion for Battleship Potemkin. Uh, especially, sure. especially that scene where she's, uh, she's revealing her breast to him and it's just like, he knows He's he's mad because he's disappointed. he knows. <laughs> I don't think he's disappointed. I think he I just think that like he has no known on well, he says I thought there was something wrong with me, which is that he thought he was gay, but it's just like I think I think he always knew in, on some level. But anyway, I love I love that he's like telling her to stop, but in such a way where it's just like Yes, you can tell he's like don't, don't stop. stop. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but this when he it. when he said um when he says, I thought there was something wrong with me. Saying it now, I'm like, I feel my chest caving in for how much I love <laughs> that that's in a movie. And I mean, mm-hmm. this is also a movie where we get to see Barbara Streisand basically masturbate while singing. Like, they, you know, where she's just like walking around the room, rubbing her breasts and like singing about Mandy Patinkin. Like, come on, Jesus. <laughs> um, it's, it's so great. I, w- I do wish Mandy Patinkin sang in the movie because he's got such an insane pretty voice um yeah all i said oh it looks like gustav corbet paintings it looks like manet paintings there's the part where they're when they're swimming naked in the lake there's a bunch of parts where he sits and poses in a particular way that seems so much like manet's luncheon on the grass seems like a reference except it's like gender swapped which again if that's intentional holy shit that's so cool um i love manet's there's a shot there's a shot where the in the final scene when well not final scene but in the reveal scene 
where she's going to tell him where he's like sitting on the bed facing the camera and she's kind of like over by the door or it might be reversed. I'm just like, this is, there's really, really good shots in this. It really does make me go, what a shame that Barbara Streisand didn't become, didn't just keep directing movies really. She's done two other films, but not since like 96 she hasn't directed. What's her third film besides Prince of Tides? Mirror Has Two Faces. Okay, I've never heard of that one. Um, that that one's got a pretty stacked cast. Too. One is Nick. Which one's Nick Nolte? Uh, not that one. Okay. I don't think. Yeah, this this does make me want to watch the rest of her movies because. Yeah, me too. I really th- oh Jeff Bridges. God, Jeff he Bridges. Must, that's he must one. have been like twenty years younger than her at least. <laughs> also cool, love that. Man, no, he's was, was thirty. He's like seventy something. Yeah, but she's, I don't think so. 78. She's 78. She's he 78. Was, he, he was 60 when he did Crazy Heart. That was 2010. So he's 70 now. So he's, okay. yeah, he's younger than her for sure. But, but that's cool. I like that. Yeah, it Good is job, cool. Bab. Yeah. Um, Very uh, uh, <gasps> Cher and Nick Cage uh, in Moonstruck of her. Yes. Oh, and speaking of sexy scenes like Mike brought up. The scene where they're at the wedding and he's whispering in her in Barbara's ear how to fuck Amy Irving. Yeah, Mm-mm. that was pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It just has something for everyone. It's like everyone can get horny to this movie. That's great. Yeah, that's a beautiful See, thing. OK, though. So. I have no idea what this I I wasn't there in 83, but like to me, I feel like I have a fairly decent awareness of uh the culture and i don't know how people might have felt felt about this i i feel like even in 83 this wouldn't have seemed like subversive in like it's it, it would be like on the comedic side of subversive as opposed to like the like uh, tricky side of subversive or I'm not sure what I mean but I like, don't know if I agree because like Tootsie ends like Tootsie is a cross-dressing movie that was very yeah. big and that ends with you know him ending up with Jessica Lange and that movie also I mean it's a little bit gay it's not but like don't you think I mean apparently not apparently people felt that it was indulgent and etc cetera, etc cetera. Mm-hmm. but like I I feel like people like I feel like my parents would have watched this in night. Yeah, or I could think have it was it was mainstream. Yeah, it, it made money. But I will say that I felt watching it now. My main feeling watching this movie was I can't believe this is happening in this movie. Yeah. And I think for how big the stars are, um, you know, she was such a huge star at this time. Yeah, I think it's pretty. I watch gay movies i seek out gay movies i don't know if i've seen another like mainstream oscar Beatty movie directorial debut by a huge star that was this gay yeah not that that makes it subversive but i just mean i this it felt like something that i have not seen i guess I think maybe that's what I mean, is that I feel like we've been marketed into thinking that this would be subversive, whereas in 83, I don't know that that was even the most noteworthy thing about it for some people. Like, I bet there were religious groups who were upset by this, for sure. But, like, in terms of the the general cultural reception, I just don't know that, like, 
watching it, I was like, wow, it really feels like this should kind of be more of a landmark in terms of like gay cinema. Like when people point to, uh, or it just, is, you know, or go ahead. It is a little bit in like, like, um, what's her name from down and out in Beverly Hills. And she's on orange is the new black. Oh, Natasha. Natasha like Leon? she posed recently. Yeah. She okay. posed recently on like a magazine cover as both Yentl and, um, Hadass in their like wedding garb. And it's like an awesome picture. So I think like, I just, I just think people don't think about this movie. Yeah, it's not down and out in Beverly Hills. It's uh, slums of Beverly Hills. Slums of Beverly Hills. Um, oh yeah. I feel like this is a little bit forgotten. What is down and out in Beverly Hills? Or is there a movie they called that? There is. Maybe. Okay. okay. I'll find out about it. Yeah. Down and out in Beverly Hills. Anyway, sorry. That's is it Goldie Hawn? I know I've heard both. It... Wow, such a different movie, kid. <laughs> uh... <laughs> Nick Nolte decides to call it quits, so he sneaks into a stranger's backyard and ties, tries to down himself in the... What the fuck is this? It looks like a cross-dressing movie. Huh. Really? There you go. No, never mind. It's just oh. Bette Midler's on the, is on the Bette Midler's cover. Bette Midler's in it. <laughs> she, yes, okay. She may as well be a drag queen. Another first wife. Okay. Yeah. Funny. Um, Anyhow. Yeah, I just know that watching it now, I feel like... I mean, honestly, like it reminds me of nothing so much as Shakespeare in a way. Yeah. In yeah, how, yeah, like, sure. like, how gender bending it is. Yeah. But I feel like if they made this movie now, they would at least market it like it was like revolutionary that this had never been done before. But I feel like like gender swap is like not new at all. Uh, however, the way that they do some of the stuff in this movie, I do think is like that's interesting for 1983. But and I, I think know. the way it ends, I do think the way that it doesn't end with a marriage yeah, is, and that's probably or with the a most, coupling is yeah, revolutionary. That's probably the most subverse or odd thing about it. Uh, yeah, but that's but really I, more yeah. from like yeah, like a feminist uh, perspective than from a, a queer perspective. I, I think know. the most I think the most subversive thing about it probably is when he almost immediately gets on board with like, "Yep, I'm in love with you. Let's be together." And she's like, mm, "Yeah, not not if I have to <laughs> stop studying." And just how how um it's very unflinching in that way. And that's kind of what I said is like, it doesn't require Mandy Patinkin to change, but it is still disappointing that he doesn't yeah. see that the thing he fell in love with is the fact that she is, is who she is. And he, and he goes, he expects he her goes to change. Yeah. And he goes home to a wife who will do the thing that he right. wants. I will say that they do give her, there is some hope for like future development. And in some ways that's kind of refreshing where it's, it's not like, Oh, we have all these characters and they've made these big swings and now they're completely different people. But mm -hmm. it's like, well, Mandy, excuse me, battleship Potemkin has been introduced to all of these ideas, uh, that, you know, get to kind of like percolate in his mind. And then, and then also Amy Irving is also, you know, she's sort of, beginning her awakening so maybe there's like this idea that she's that uh you know Anshul has sort of sparked an awakening um well, i think i think it's realistic about what hypocrites people are too and i don't mean that in like to condemn mandy potemkin but he his marriage to hadas is ruined by the fact that her parents have this kind of traditional belief that because his brother committed suicide, he has 
the same demons right. in him. And then <laughs> he basically seems to believe that Barbara Streisand, if she's not a demon, it still would not be appropriate of her to continue. St- like he ruins that relation. Like he has the same expectation of her that like ruined his life coming from someone else. And that he worked so hard to basically just subvert with this whole, why don't you marry her instead? Plot. Yeah. Yeah, um, that's right. true. I hadn't really thought about that. He is kind of wishy-washy on, or it's it's hard to take him too seriously with, but I I think that's part of why the happy ending or ha- happy ending for Yentl I would I think it's a happy ending. Why it works so well is because even though she has to like walk away from seemingly the love of her life and someone as hot as Mandy Potemkin, she I'd rather be her than him. You know, I'd yeah. rather be her living. Oh, I mean, I'd rather be him because he's with Amy Irving, but I hear what you're saying. I don't understand that. Lee also, I was like, she does nothing for me. Like, that's the one downfall of this movie. Like, I think she gives a fine performance, but she's not hot to me. Hmm. And Lee was like, uh, what are you talking about? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's very cute. Um, she's she. I think she's very good. Um, do you do you guys think do you guys think if they would have shown Battleship Potemkin's hog? Do you think that the audience would have then had trouble believing that Yentl would leave him? Possibly. So That's you're thinking that thinking. that Mandy I Potemkin has a big penis is what you're saying? Just glorious in all the ways that one can have. Do you a, think it can sing? I think it can sing. I think it has vocal cords. <laughs> I think I think potentially maybe they had to cut the penis out in editing. I think originally the penis was in all of those shots that's better than cutting it out before editing which is very painful (laughs) yeah (laughs) that could be i hadn't thought about that like i was basically thinking of it as like you know the lightsaber battle in the throne room and tlj that they were just like that careful in how they shot everything (laughs) um but yeah maybe they just like cut i don't know are their scissors small enough to like get that close to showing a penis I mean, his if his if it depends. I mean, they might not need to be that small if his hog is that big. Huh. Why didn't they welcome just show to us hog penis? talk? It is strange. It's weird, especially watching. What was I watching? Oh, I watched a lot of British television when I had COVID, and <laughs> <laughs> you can just like. <laughs> so that's what can, it takes. Yeah, you can just like, you know, show titties and stuff. I mean, as far as I know, you can show a lot there and say a lot of curse words and stuff that you can't say here and it really made me reflect it made me reflect like why the fuck can't you show somebody's butt on television like that's so weird and do you remember when they did Mm -hmm. that when uh yes on nypd blue yeah who was who was it dennis france (laughs) the butt we all most wanted to see (laughs) i love it Um, but it is very strange, and it was very it was very strange in Effie Gray too, where this rate because of this rating system, we have a movie that's basically all about the parts that people have, <laughs> and we can't show any of those parts. Yeah, just show people naked. God, who gives a shit? And then we like, especially like working in the museum now, it's like I walk by just like like larger than life women's asses like regularly and like nice we're all like ooh, this is uh very smart what i'm doing right now looking yeah. at this <laughs> but, like, we can't show it in a, on tv or in movies fucking stupid it's strange uh 
But we can't out. we Come. can show the Joker just like mowing people down on television. <laughs> Thanks, mom. Uh, yeah, Kit, you should watch a movie called uh, "Your Movie Is Not Yet Rated" or whatever. I've seen it. You should come out. It's crazy. You're coming out really, really hard against the MPAA here. I made that movie. It's a good, a good family organization. They actually, they uh, had to retitle that to "This Movie Has Now Been Rated." So it is. It is. <laughs> yeah, true. It is very, very funny to think about just like all of the fucked up and depraved shit I've seen in my life, and uh, you know, just thinking about like. My parents making me leave the room during a sex scene, like right yeah. after, you yeah. know, Robo RoboCop tearing somebody's face off or whatever. <laughs> yeah, we were <laughs> like, talking. We were Lee and I might want to cut this out, but uh, <laughs> Lee and I were talking about something to do with I don't know being hacked or something, or somebody reading all of your emails or something like that. And I was like, I don't know what anybody would. Get, like there's nothing to leak other than like sh- like poetry I've written or whatever like there's nothing that I, like what would I be trying to hide and he said something like well you know what if they found out like oh that like one time you searched like he was trying to come up with it he probably had one and then he realized who he was talking to and he was like um I don't know and I was like what give me an example <laughs> and he goes like I don't know like stepdaughter porn you like searched that one time and I was like okay so this is just what like all men are doing like why can't, but we can, I can't see some titties in a movie. What is what is that about? Yeah. No, I, I feel like in many ways that I live in two worlds when it comes to that kind of thing because like <laughs> like it's very so th- there's the whole there's the morality thing. Like you can't show, mm-hmm. you know, sex in a film. You can't show uh, you know, pleasurable sex especially um and all that type of stuff. And people are always like there's that I mean, the movie we were just talking about and people are always pointing to all these types of things. But then like if you've watched like like outside the mainstream film from, I mean, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, mm-hmm. 70s, 80s, like they always have shown it. It's always been there. This It's never been as culturally taboo as people pretend it is. I, I was just so. thinking about that. There was some dress in something that I, that brought it to my attention. Oh, OK. So two two things. There's a movie with Robert Richam and Shirley MacLaine that I can't remember the name of. But there's this montage in it of like all these movies that they're in together where mm. she has just like a parade of costumes. And one of the costumes she's wearing is filmed from behind. And it looks like she's wearing, I think they're all Edith Head costumes, but it looks like nice. she's wearing basically no top. The the dress dips down like as low as it could possibly go on her back. And then there's like a jewel hanging into her ass crack. And this is like Shirley MacLaine in the 60s. And I'm like, that's the most perverted thing I think I've ever seen. <laughs> and then if you watch like Some Like It Hot, that dress that Marilyn Monroe wears, where it's just like cut like below the, the boobs. And then it's like, shh. And she's, it's like in the dark. It's when she's like seducing Tony Curtis. And the shot of her just like walking around in that dress, it's like, it's more naked than naked. Yeah. And this is from what, 59 or something, that movie? And it's like, why? And that was a code movie, you know, pre-code. There was even, you know, there were Barbara Stanwyck movies and shit where she's just like fucking her way to the C to be CEO of a business or whatever. And it's like, we are weird. Like everyone wants to have sex with their stepmom, but (laughs) like we can't show Barbara Streisand's boobs in a movie about her that's basically about her having boobs 
So you're talking about like revealing dresses and stuff and like, I mean, people wear swimsuits in films and that's not even regarded. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, even just in regular life, like that's constantly pointed to as like somebody will wear like a string bikini to the beach and then like they'll get like embarrassed about wearing, you know, too tight of yoga pants or too short of a skirt or something like mm-hmm. that uh, or too low cut. And it's just like, I don't understand. Or I like really that, like, a lot of it. I mean, I thought this since I was like a child, but like what? Like, you know, I'd go watch my dad play basketball with his friends when I was really, really little. And I don't know if I was thinking this then, but it was not long after I was like, why can boys play with their shirts off? But like girls can't play basketball with their shirts. Like, why? What? (laughs) Yeah. Until you actually start developing. What is there even that's yeah different? But yeah, even. Yeah. Especially when you're like a child, when you're like a little kid, because like we loved being naked as I still love being naked. But it was like eventually it's like you can't do this anymore. It's like, yeah, but every guy I know still can. Yeah. That's right, baby. Let's do it right now, Andrew. <laughs> Hell yeah, dude. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's strange. Although, like, this takes us in the, the final thing I think I have to say about the movie. We're talking about all of these very... Yeah, can you hurry? Because I have to go pee standing up. You... <laughs> <laughs> I'll be quick. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, we're talking about all these, like, these uh, subtle things, these socially defined kind of things. And uh, I thought one thing that was very interesting about this film that was never... I guess it was... It was always both text and subtext was just it made me think about how different a person's sex makes me regard them, not as superior or inferior, but just like, you know, um, when uh, was it when she is Anshul as opposed to Yentl, um, mm-hmm. she's his great close friend. And like they have these conversations that he he later says, I would never have had that conversation with a woman with my with with even right. my wife. And like, you know, it's, I guess it'd be hard. It'd be hard pressed for me to say exactly there. I have no rule for this. Like there's no, I couldn't, I couldn't lay all of that out, but like I treat men and women differently mm-hmm. uh, and not out of any sort of like, you know, malintent or anything like that. Uh, but just because that's like, people are different. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I thought it was just interesting. Like all of the different ways beyond sex it- that this sort of explored how it f- men and women are different, how they're treated differently, all that kind of thing. I don't know. It felt <clears throat> there's a part where they're walking, they're talking about Hadass, I think. And he says to Anshel, like, I have you for those kinds of conversations. She's yeah. I think Barbara is kind of like, Why don't you talk to her? Do you talk to her about like your scholarship? And then he said, and, and then, yeah, he says, I have you for that. And like, on the one hand, it's like, that's fine. Different relationships are different things. Mm-hmm. But it also, I've been thinking a lot recently about how, and we can maybe cut this out too. I don't know. <laughs> but like, uh, I think recently I've been coming to understand how, you know, back when I was in high school, when there were, there were even kids who were like, I think I don't remember if it was Prop 8 or whatever, but there was like the like gay marriage like proposition in Oregon. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were some kids who were like kids who would like have a sticker on their backpack that was like vote no or vote yes or whatever. And I kind of at that time was like, why would anyone care? Like, why do you care? <laughs> like, why do you not? Why do you care? Why do you not? Who? What difference does it make to you? Um, and I think recently... <laughs> I've been understanding more like there's straight people who don't 
who not who not even necessarily are like and less and less I think this is the case but there are straight people who like it's not that they think that being gay is sinful but it's just like how like they can't conceive like why would you it's that it's unnatural or that like it couldn't you couldn't possibly really like actually that it's a choice or like you know that kind of thing and then there's gay people who think that anyone who's bisexual is just like not come out as gay yet and like bisexual people don't exist and then there's at least my experience where i'm like i kind of have that same kind of problem i'm like how the fuck could anyone be straight or gay like i don't like yeah i don't it's it feels i mean this is like you know i think wrong of me but it is nonetheless like how i think about it where it's just like who who is actually straight who is actually gay who how could there possibly be people on earth who aren't attracted to like aspects of both sexes like that seems fucking impossible to me so like i think i have more empathy for like gay people who don't believe that bisexual people exist and straight people who don't think that being gay is a real thing because i'm like i guess when you're in your own experience it's very hard to imagine how people could be different from you sometimes and in this particular aspect like it's very difficult for me to imagine how people could could be straight or could be gay and not bi like how everyone's not bi but the movie felt kind of like a, I don't know, somewhat tragic exploration of that, which is like the thing that one of the things among among many things like Yentl's desire to learn is kind of feels tantamount to her willingness to like explore these other sides of herself. Not that she ever like fully embraces like a lesbian relationship or, a gay, you know, but like that Manny Patinkin like won't even approach even starting to think about that. And he, you know, kind of like when he says, I thought there was something wrong with me, that's like the closest he gets to like admitting that he was having these feelings. Whereas like, you know, Yentl's singing about them all the time (laughs) about how, how, you know, how the attention of a woman is different from the attention of a man and how both are like satisfying in a particular way and the different kinds of relationships she can have with different people. And I think the ending of the movie really fits with what she's learned, which like is that she is kind of like bigger than she thought she was. (laughs) Like she's capable of a lot more than she, than she knew she was capable of. So she can't really regret having gone on this journey. And I do feel kind of bad for Amy Irving and all of this, but um, you know, Barbara's our protagonist and I'm happy with what we get from her. I, yeah, I agree. And I think that's what makes that shot such a good, at the end, such a good capstone, mm-hmm. you know, you know, it's, it's, it, it's funny to me too, because it's like, it's so, I know going to the new world or whatever is like a cliche. I know, but we, we also, it's also very hopeful or whatever, but it like, I do like that. Like on that boat, you just see all these people who look probably miserable and are probably all sick. And then she just, <laughs> starts, she and, starts. Singing. And some of them are looking at her as though they can hear her singing, which I thought was <laughs> yeah. like, um, what's kind of yeah. interesting. Like she's like an outcast a little bit, even among them. Um, but it is kind of like, I feel like that's partially maybe the meaning of that shot that just goes on forever. It's like, look how fucking huge the world is. Like, you know, it's so, you know, everything's so big. There's so much. It really does a good job of conveying 
possibility, even if the reality is she's going to go to the U.S. and not have any time to study because she's like working in a, you know, fucking uh, cotton factory or something, (laughs) like you know, (laughs) day and night alongside eight year old children or whatever. um, You kind of feel like she'll fucking figure it out. Yeah, she's going to be okay. I think she will. I think America is the perfect place for a person like her. Yeah. Yeah. America. All right. Enough about uh, sexual ambiguity. Let's have our cruise minute. <laughs> Let's do it, baby. All right. Uh, it's time for the tr- to Tom Cruise minute. Yeah. My only I Tom Cruise minute news. What's Agador. that? He would have been a good Agad Agad Agador or whatever the hell his name is. Avignor Avigdor Avigdor oh, Avignor. Yeah. Avignor. Um, I bought Jack Reacher on Blu-ray, but I have not yet watched it. That is my cruise minute. Hell yeah, dude. Mm-hmm. I'm uh, excited. I'm excited to talk to you about that movie. Okay. Not because I think it is a great, it is a very dad movie, mm-hmm. but there are like, there are scenes and things in that movie that I think are awesome. Excellent. Well, yeah. hopefully next time I will be able to uh, share my experiences with Jack Reacher. Cool, dude. Yeah. Don't watch Jack Reacher 2. <laughs> yeah. It's one of the worst movies I've ever seen. I mem- Yeah, I remember you talking about that. I didn't know there Next. were two. There were there are two. The second one is absolutely horrible. It is shocking how bad it is. And it's like one of those things where it's like, you know, we're at this point where like a Tom Cruise movie is such a like a marquee event in our lives yeah. where it's like, God damn it, you made a bad one. What's wrong with you? Not not <laughs> him, but just like the people around him failed him. Yeah. Um and it's like it's 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 just like, well, Edward Zwick, you're never gonna get to work with him again. Uh <laughs> But uh, yeah, that movie is really bad. There is one really, really good action scene in it, though. That's all I'll say. Okay. Anybody uh, else my cruise cruise minute. Uh, well, uh, we've talked about this before, but because it's the holidays, people, you know, the stories about being on Tom Cruise's Christmas list mm. and his like his chocolate cake that he sends to everybody. Apparently, it's like the best thing in the world. Uh, so if you make that list, you just get a cake every single year. Man. From some like renowned bakery. It's, it's fucking awesome. made from Shelly Miscavige's blood. That's why they have to keep her alive. <laughs> yeah. It's an ingredient in the filling. Yep. That would be kind and of a noble reason to be alive, though. I'd be fine with that. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be in feel worthwhile. I'm reading this article. Uh, I was just looking for Tom Cruise news, and uh, there's this Sun article that. Uh, incorrectly states that the next Mission Impossible is going to be the one that he shoots in space. Uh, But in it, there's a picture of him just very nonchalantly midair jumping between boats uh, in Venice. And he's not... It's not for a scene in the movie. He's just... (laughs) He's just traveling. He's just trying to get from... He's he's got his mask on and everything. Like, he's... It's just funny to me because, like, I just... I imagine that you know, when they make movies, they treat actors like baby because most of them are babies. Yeah. And like you, you know, they don't they don't get to do things like stand up in a boat and then, you know, hop on that boat to mm-hmm. another boat like you don't because if they trip and fall and snap their ankle or do something stupid like any of one of us could do uh, the movies stopped and everybody's out of the job for eight weeks or whatever. But no, here Tom Cruise is thing. just and he's like celebrated for it, you know, which he should be. I think that's cool. Like, sure, man, like 
you have a death wish, use it to make amazing movies until you <laughs> die jumping out of a plane or, you know, going to space right. for a Mission Impossible. That's fine. But it feels like of a piece with like, um, but Barbara Streisand, you better not want to do any more than sing or act in a movie or you're you fucking well, indulgent bitch. <laughs> yeah. If Tom Cruise dies, a lot of people do lose their jobs. Um, you can't but, live your life. Hey, I agree with that. Trying to keep I'm just saying like jobs. I, I also, yeah, I don't, I don't think too many people are like, are like, uh, you know, trying to shut Tom Cruise down. I'm sure the insurance premium is pretty high, especially after he did snap his ankle on the last one. Yeah, I just, I mean, it's it's scary because I do feel like someday we're going to. That is how he's going to die, right? Uh, yeah, it kind of like it, it probably should be that way too. Like, yeah, I have a feeling like if he, if he. If he dies of like a heart attack or something, we're all going to be disappointed. Yeah, I always say if like he... I want to get my pilot's license so I can like take control of my own death. Yeah, but yeah, if he dies re-entering Earth's atmosphere, like that is salute, salute, dude. It's a good way to go. Imagine Plus... also, especially if they get to use that take in the movie. <laughs> you 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 know they will. <laughs> Um, plus then we would know that like little pieces of cruise would be sprinkling down on all of us. So that's right. Beautiful. His final instead of hurtling around the earth for Mm -hmm. eternity. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) So you know Uh, how they say, you know how they say we're all made out of stardust. Mm -hmm. Uh Well, in this case, we'll all be made out of movie stardust. (laughs) (laughs) Well played. Yeah. Uh, All right. Any cruise minute for you, Kit? No. All right. Thank you for joining us tonight. But, Mike, what are we going to be talking about next week, dude? I don't know. I haven't picked yet. Um, Oh, my God. Are you serious? I thought about it all day. I've got some options that we can discuss uh, once we're done recording here. Um, But, uh, but yeah, I don't know. So, it's a mystery. Stay tuned. Find out next week. Um, But, boy, I'm tired. I look really tired. Um, I anyhow. felt like I'm really tired. Like I was noticing all day that my right eyebrow is I had like five meetings today and my right eyebrow is just like basically resting on my cheek today. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, that looks great. You got to Botox that. <laughs> um, OK, slow motion triple feature was recorded in the basement of a deli just down the street from Borough Park in Brooklyn. Special thanks to our producer, Lee, the man in the booth who makes us sound great. If you'd like to contact us, please do so at slowmotiontriple at gmail.com. Hooray for my...